0: Apple presents events at the Apple Store. All right. Please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Ethan Sachs, of New York Daily News.
1: Thanks for dropping by the Apple's Meet the Filmmaker series. This is a spotlight on a great movie, The Drop. Uh, It's an intense crime drama, for those of you who haven't heard about it yet, uh, from the author behind Mystic River. And... uh, Basically, The Drop stars Tom Hardy as an introverted Brooklyn bartender named Bob, who works in a pub that doubles as a front for a money laundering operation run by his cousin, Marv. And Marv is played by the late, great James Gandolfini. It's the last chance to see him on the big screen. And it's, uh, it's just an amazing performance. But uh, there's more than, uh, than just a crime drama here. Bob's compartmentalized life gets a little complicated. Uh, by the, uh, the arrival of both an adorable pit bull puppy and an even more adorable um, woman, Nadia, played by the wonderful Numi Rapace. Um, so I don't want to talk too much more about the film because we do have the trailer. So if we're ready to go on that. <laughs> Hi, gentlemen. These are on the house.
2: As off, thanks for the drink, huh? A lot, oh, in Brooklyn, money changes hands all night long. <laughs> and it's not the kind of money that you can deposit in a bank. You handle the drop. But all that money needs to end up somewhere. They call it a drop bar. You just hide the entire city's dirty money right in plain sight. All your money in the bag. Do you know what you're doing? Do you know whose money you're jacking? Fill the bar! You don't see anything? Nah. You know, that's that's this neighborhood, right?
3: I heard that cousin Marv doesn't know the bar. Some hard guys do. You're not a hard guy. Yeah, we had a crew
2: back in the day when we was young. Marv, he thought he was a tough guy. Then the neighborhood changed. It wasn't enough to be tough no more. You know, you had to be mean. You know this guy? No. Find my money. Find my money. You need to see this, Marv. No, I don't need to see what's in that bag. No, don't look at that. Don't look at it. You're still in the life. No. Nope. No, I just turned the bar. You ever go around to the front of the bar and take a look at the names on the sign you No, know, that's my name? I used to own it once. They pressed, you blinked, it's over. It's been over for a while now. And if I'm not this, and I'm not them. Where is your cousin, Marv? And if you Sit down. No. Oh. When I walked into a place people sat up straight, they noticed. I was respected. I was feared. Please. And that meant something. Are you doing something desperate? Die. Are you doing something that we can't clean up this time? There's some sins that you commit that you can't come back from.
1: So we're very lucky to have... Um, The director of the film, Mikhail Roskam. Star of the film, Numi Rapace. And uh, one of the great modern writers of, of crime fiction, even though he's a Red Sox fan, Dennis Lehane. Well, thank you all for joining us today. Good evening. Um, I guess I want to start with you because this this movie, I want to start with the fact that it's set in Brooklyn and it's filmed largely in Brooklyn and you can always tell, uh, how many people from Brooklyn are there in the audience today? I think you can always tell when it's Toronto and not really Brooklyn. So just what was it like uh, filming, filming here and and Um. finding those locations? Well, first
4: of all, I'm from Belgium, so um, in the beginning, I mean, I love the script and, of course, the first thing, uh, I mean, with Bullhead, for me, the authenticity of, of the background and the place, the, the, the universe where we're making this story happen has to be real. So I was aware of the fact, I mean, I'm not from Brooklyn, so, I mean, I'm going to have to, to portray it in a way. Uh, and so I decided to, to be faithful, not only to Brooklyn, trying to be faithful to the Brooklyn as it is today, but also to the tradition of how Brooklyn has been portrayed in, in the arts in the, in as, as long as it's been portrayed, you know? And uh, Nicholas, the, the, the DP, uh, showed me a great painter called George Bellows, who is a Brooklyn painter from, who made his work in the beginning of the 20th century. And he made these beautiful, you know, city life scenes of Brooklyn. Um, and he had a show uh, just like the weeks before we started shooting there was a show of him in the, in the museum here in, in, in New York so I used actually that kind of Brooklyn representation and transferred it to the Brooklyn as I saw it so I'm never going to claim like this is the real Brooklyn it is like I think a Brooklyn um, that I wanted especially to be faithful to to representing the colors uh, as I found it in the paintings. And Brooklyn itself, of course, we have a bar and there's a lot of scenes in this bar, so I had to find bars. I've seen like, I don't know, 200 bars in Brooklyn. And that gives you a pretty good idea who the people of Brooklyn are. (laughs) How many of those 200 do you remember? One. (laughs) No, many, many. We actually built a bar. Uh, It was a, an out-of-business bar, and uh, we only did the counter was still there. And we stripped it totally and kind of made the ideal bar based on three different ones that we saw, one in, uh, in Greenpoint, one in uh, uh, Bay Ridge, and one in Marine Park. So.
1: Now, Numi, we talked uh, a few days ago, and you told me how... This is your first full movie filmed in New York, right? Uh, um, full start to finish?
3: Yeah. Or? I was here a little bit on Dead Men Down, but this is the, f- uh, yeah.
1: So what's that like? Because you grew up watching it on the big screen in Sweden. I mean, what was yeah. it like being here?
3: Um, well, I always dreamt about kind of making a movie in New York and being a part of a movie, um, a New York movie. There's something very romantic about it. and. Um, and I remember that I, I, I fell in love with the script immediately when I read it. And, uh, uh, but I was kind of afraid that we will be st- kind of, you know, thrown into a studio somewhere in a, in a city far away, <laughs> pretending that it would be Brooklyn. Um, and, and when we met and you said it was crucial for you, that it was really important to shoot it on real locations and, and find um, spots and places in Brooklyn, um, I, I knew that that would kind of bring... It's almost like um, Brooklyn is is almost like a, a character in the movie, and without that it would you know we would kind of been forced to to pretend more and now it, it kind of gave us a lot of things that we can work on and I, I also like to do research and be out and be around people and watch people and listen and absorb and you know so it, it was, um, it, was uh, it made me really happy and I, I loved
1: it now Dennis um this is the, you adapted this movie off of your short story, Animal Rescue. So how did your previous cinematic experiences uh, help you write the script? I mean, what was, uh, what was that like?
0: I don't know that they did. Um, I don't know that the previous cinematic experiences, because th- those were adaptations of my books that I had nothing to do with except to consult, um, because I don't want to adapt my own books, because it's, um, I don't have the perspective to know what 80% of that book I have to throw out to make a good movie. So yeah, I, I know, I think maybe my TV work helped help a lot. Um, I think, you know, I had a pretty intensive um, training uh, for a couple of, three years on The Wire, so that, that helped a lot, that, that really helped me do the script. Um, the thing is, I'm a novelist, though, so all my scripts are way too talky, and I just cut it all right at the end. Once you get good actors, then you just start cutting scripts, you know?
1: Speaking of good actors, I understand you added some lines when, uh, when Gandolfini was cast? Well, yeah, it's a two, it, there's, it's, it says
0: something to the types of acting styles you had. When Tom Hardy was cast, the moment Tom Hardy was cast, I said, all right, that's an actor who does a ton with stillness. That's, he conveys so much with his eyes. You see, he's just he's amazing at that. I think he's the best working today at that. So I went in and I slashed his dialogue by, I'd say, about 30%. And then uh, when Gandolfini was hired, I went in and I added... At least probably twenty percent to his dialogue, because he turned street speech into a symphony i mean that 's just what the guy did I mean he just he made a meal out of it, and uh, the f- the first funny line in the film, the first line that gets a laugh, was one of the lines I added um, and and that was that was pretty gratifying so
1: don 't suppose you want to spill it
0: Can I spill it on a podcast okay uh, bob is is obsessing over the dog that he 's found in Gandolfini's character doesn't care, and really doesn't care at all. And he's going on about the dog, and finally, uh, Cousin Marv says, it's a dog. It's not some long lost retard relative shows up on your door with a colostomy bag looking for a place to stay. It's a dog. And if you look closely, you can see Tom trying not to laugh. He blew a bunch of takes, because he just kept laughing. because Gandolfini just, he actually, he he added the phrase, Hanging out of your ass, actually, <laughs> it was a long-lost relative with a colostomy bag. He added, "Hanging out of your, uh, hanging out, hanging of, out of your ass." So he he just he could just make a meal out of dialogue, and it was just it was a, a
1: joy. I want to uh, set up the first clip that we're going to see. Uh, we want to. It's probably not the wisest thing to do to start with an animal, uh, but this is such a cute cute dog that we get to see. One of the major stars of the movie, Rocco. The mm-hmm. character is Rocco. But tell me yeah. a little bit about... It must be hard working with puppies. They're not necessarily the most uh, cooperative of actors.
4: We had the best puppy in the world. He did exactly what he needed to be. A dog, a puppy. So,
1: so much more
3: disciplined than the actors. <laughs> yeah.
4: That dog was always on time. <laughs> no, he was... Um, I mean, that, that was one of the first things that I said... Like, I'm not going to turn this this thing into lassie or something, you know, that seems to talk to you and understand when you're like, say something. You know, it's a dog. It's not like a long lost relative with a. <laughs> Anyways, um, and we, we said, let's, let's just let it be a dog, literally. We, we would never. We had the camera, uh, we did some kind of thing, and, and I always made like kind of little setups that we could have uh, the dog do what it needed to do, and, and had like, Tom interact with it in a very natural way, and, and it, was, it was easy. I mean, it was a puppy. It couldn't like really run off for like two miles and then get lost or something. It was just always trying to follow you, and it was pretty, it was not that bad.
1: Huh? Actually, it was cool. Should we roll the clip, or?
4: Yeah. What
3: are you gonna name it?
2: Uh, well, I was thinking maybe Rocco. Uh, I uh, I like the name Rocco, but then I thought Mike. Mike. You don't like Mike?
3: No, Mike is not a great name for a dog. Right. Rocco is better.
2: Okay. So, I didn't name you uh, Nadia after the gymnast? Yeah. So, you're a gymnast?
3: No. Oh, here we go, see. Rocco. He likes it.
2: Yeah, I like Mike.
1: Did anyone get to keep the dog after the uh, <laughs> <laughs> after the
4: shoot?
1: Yeah. I, I want to turn a little bit more serious for a second, because we were talking a little bit about James, and um, you know, it's sad to say that this is his last cinematic performance, but it is an incredibly riveting one. And I'm just wondering, you told me the story about the first time you met him. I'm just wondering if you can each just tell me a little bit about getting to meet him and was work Was that
3: in the restaurant? The, the one in, in the,
1: rest- the restaurant, yeah. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I, had, I had Jim a couple of times. Uh, James, Jim. Uh, we, I, everybody calls him Jim. So um, I had him on the phone a uh, couple of times. Uh, he was in L.A. And then, like, I think two weeks or a week and a half before the shoot, he was going to c- come over to New York. And we were staying at, uh, we had dinner, Matthias, uh, he's playing Eric Dietz in the movie, uh, Matthias Kronert. Uh Numi and I were having dinner in the Wythe Hotel in Brooklyn, Williamsburg. And we were talking and I'm like, yeah, tomorrow, you know, Jim's gonna, gonna meet Jim. You know, it's my first time. I mean, I mean, I'm a fan, so I was like really excited. And suddenly I see Jim and his uh, friend uh, walking in, in the bar, and he was like, and everybody's like, I mean, he's very impressive when he walks in. It's James Gandolfini, but he is also very, you know, a presence. And uh, people like turning on white and I said, Oh my god, it's Jim, it's Jim. I'm totally like and without thinking, I just jumped up, like, Whoa, Jim, it's me. He's like, Who are you? <laughs> I'm like, I'm oh I'm Michael the director, you know, from Hey man, yeah, because yeah, we didn't know how I looked like, you know. So and then he was like really he thought I was a fan, yeah. You know? <laughs> it was funny because name. he was
3: like um I, was like, oh. I got really shy. You know, I'm not I'm not really shy normally, but um and I remember I stood up, and I, I shook his hand, and he, his hands are like three times my hand. He was like, and and then I just sat down. And it was like, he, he was like, his his charisma was so strong. And I remember, like you know, we were just like small people next to him.
4: Yeah, <laughs> it's like so funny. When I hold just a normal cup of coffee, if, when Jim holds that coffee, it looks like an espresso. <laughs>
0: you know? How about you, Dennis? We actually, that's, it, it haunts me. Jim and I played phone tag, then we tried to set up a dinner, and then it just didn't come together, because I was on the other side of Brooklyn working on Boardwalk Empire, and it was really hard for me to get back and forth. And um, that's the really tragic thing. When you make a movie, you always say, oh, we'll see them at the premiere. It's just in your head. You'll see them at the festival. You'll see them at the, you know, so we, we never met.
1: Should we, are we ready for that clip?
2: Charlie thinks we should visit Europe. what I become? A guy that goes to Europe with his sister. Hops on a uh, tour bus. A camera on my neck like a jerk off. What? Uh, you need to see this, Marv. No, I don't. I don't need to do anything. I'm just gonna stand right here. I'm just gonna stand right here. No, you really should take a look at this. I don't need to see Europe. I don't need to see Dottie. And I don't need to see what's in that bag.
1: I was wondering if they were gonna show the rest of what was in that bag, but uh. save that for the uh, ticket bars. Um, I do you want to, it uh, definitely seemed very evocative of his Sopranos character, more than almost anything he's done on the big screen. And I'm just wondering, you know, when you're watching him perform, we had talked about that uh, basement scene, which to me is the high, one of the high points of the movie. What's it like being there in the moment and just sort of feeling that? Uh, on the other side of the monitor?
4: It's magic, but I mean, it's, uh, of course there are some of those moments when, uh, I mean, some scenes, I mean, you're building up in the story and you make scenes to to get, you know, like highlight at a certain point in the story, you know, to the end or somewhere in the middle. I mean, it, it, it has its own goal. Shooting a film, you actually, sh- you try to shoot every scene as if it's the final scene. You cannot, like, just, like, you know, it's not an important... No, they're not, like, n- not important scenes. So, it was always, like, if I see Numi and Matthias or Numi on her own, I mean, it's always magical. Uh, it's with Tim, it's with Tom. I mean, I remember with Numi we're doing... Um, uh, there was a, a scene in the kitchen. It's not in the movie, but when she was doing the makeup. like, there was something that we might have used at the time. Uh, and that's, that's magical as well. You always have to make that whatever you do, every day between action and cut, it has to be magic. There's no winner or loser. So, but I admit there were moments uh, and that scene in the in the cellar where Jim and, and Tom particularly were really having something and especially because it was one of the first scenes that they played together.
3: But Do you, do you remember that I came um, to yes. the house when you were shooting yeah. that scene? And um, because you started, you were working with James in the morning, and I was going to come in after lunch, so um, they were waiting for me in makeup, and and I came in, I just wanted to say hi to you, and say hi to Tom and and, and Jimmy, and uh, and then you were in the middle of the scene, and I kind of, you know, sneaked in and sat down next to you, and I was looking at the monitor, and... And I was blown away. I couldn't go. Like, they were waiting for me makeup and my, my PA was, like, waving and, like, they really need you. And I was like, no, no, no. I got to stay. It was, I got yeah. to Do you remember that? I was, yeah, like, glued. Yeah. It was, like, I couldn't leave. It was... I just felt that it was something happening in that scene There was pure... <laughs> It was so real and it was so alive and every take was different. And I was like, there's no way I can go into makeup. I'm going <laughs> to see this.
4: <laughs> it's true. It was it was pretty cool. I mean, and of course, in the light of everything that happened now, I mean, you look back at it in a different way. That's the nature of our emotions and our memories. But of course, at the time, it was already fantastic to to, to see Jim perform I just... I, I just recently came up with the, like, how can I express why I want a gym for the part? It's like I, I, I say, I like, I love steak and fries, and I love my wife, and my I love my child, and I love my cappuccino, and I love Jim's Gandolfini. You know, it's just that. You know, I just like the guy seeing playing that way. It's and all the fans are lucky guys, and all the guys who don't like it, they're missing something. So I pity them. <laughs>
1: You know, this is a, this is such a great actors movie, and I want to ask you, Dennis. When you, way back in the beginning, when you were putting pen to paper, I guess that's archaic, but um, where did the germ of the idea come from? Because this isn't like a big score caper movie. This is very much no, a,
0: not at all. This is really. Um, I'm a big film fanatic, and this is this was mostly inspired by. Films of the early 1970s. That's that's what I was after. The kind of vibe of like Sidney Lumet films, or The French Connection, or Scarecrow, or you know, um, which were a little shaggy around the edges, which is what I kind of wanted. I wanted that feel of. I, I keep saying that, even sitting with the audience, the first half an hour with the audience on this movie, the 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 reaction you can feel in the room is, what, the. F- is going on. I mean, it, there's Beep. just this sense of the movie kind of it zigs when you think it's going to zag, it zags when you and you and you're trying to, and then and then it all starts to come together. It's like I've got a lot of disparate stories here, and then they're all going to dovetail. Um, but you have to you have to slowly go on that journey, and then when you get there, it's like hopefully extremely worthwhile. Um, so when I was first putting pen to paper, um, I just wanted I I have this. I have the sense that loneliness kills more people than cancer, and that we don't talk about it enough, and, or we don't really investigate it because it scares us all. And so, I started with this idea, it was Christmas, it was 2001 when I took the first crack at this, not as a script, but as part of a novel, and, and I remember thinking, it's Christmas, suicides are highest in the United States around Christmas, it's two days after Christmas. What do you see on the streets two days after Christmas? you see a bunch of Christmas presents laying in the trash. And I started thinking about a guy who was very lonely and very sad and hanging on maybe by his fingernails, walking home through that. And then all of a sudden in the tradition, and this is how we do it, you know, I love these, I mean, I don't know, I know authors who do outline, um, I'm not one of them. Uh, I'm just walking along, I'm with the guy, he's walking along, I'm painting the scene. And then all of a sudden, the next sentence I write is, he heard something. Well, that's interesting what did he hear you know and i sit back and i think about what could he hear and then i start and then i the word that came to mind was keening and i wrote keening here's a keening okay there's a puppy in a barrel that's where it all began
3: huh. and It must be wonderful to be you
0: <laughs> No, i would love it, to have that <laughs> no it's quite it's, it's quite terrible sometimes <laughs> yeah uh, yeah because a lot of times you go i mean the, the nature of the beast is a lot of times you go Oh, it's a puppy in a... Here's the perfect example. It's a puppy in a trash can. He finds the puppy in the trash can. He meets Numi's character. That's, that's, you know He meets Nadia. All of this was in the very original conception of the story. And then the rest of the novel kicked out on me. It wouldn't come together. I had this nice story with this guy, Bob, this woman, Nadia, and this psychopath named Eric Deeds. And that's all I had. And every other story that I was trying to tell in that novel just collapsed. And so I shelved the novel. And five years later... I kept thinking about whatever happened to that guy who found the dog in the trash can and I wrote it as a short story. And then somebody bought the short story and said, would you do it as a screenplay? And I was like, this guy just won't go home. Uh, and so I just kept writing Bob. I've been writing Bob now since 2000, since
1: December of 2001. So. I wanna ask you, Numi, uh, real quick, because the next clip that we're gonna see is a scene, another scene between you and Tom. And it seems like you guys had a great chemistry. And then right after this, you filmed another movie. Is that right? Yeah, Child 44, right? Yeah. yeah. T- tell me about that and what it's like when you're working on multiple projects. If that just sort of helps you going from one to another like that. Um,
3: yeah, I met um, Tommy um, maybe two years before we shot The Drop, and um, and we connected, you know, like straight away. And and uh, he said that he was a great fan of my work, and uh, and I I was, you know. I, I remember when I saw Bronson and I was just so blown away. I was like, I gotta work with this guy. And then we met and we connected and we were trying to find something to do. And, and then Fox Searchlight um, sent me the, the animal rescue as it was called then. And I loved it. And I, I remember I texted Tommy and I was like, this could be it. Maybe uh, maybe this is the first, the first thing we should do together. Um, and then Child 44 came along. Um, and we went. Yeah, I think we had like four weeks between the drop and and child. But the beauty with um, um with a working relationship that when you trust each other and and you can, um, you know, you kind of you can allow yourself to take risks, and you don't need to pretend that you know when you don't know. You can you can allow yourself to be stupid, and to do really bad takes. Um, and I felt that in this whole ensemble with like you know, Michael and, and Matthias and Tom, that I, um, I didn't feel that I had to prove anything. You know, I could come in and just work and explore and see where, where it uh, was going to lead us. And, and that I have with Tom very much. And I love that. That's, that's the, the perfect um, work relationship for me.
1: I don't know. That's a good way to lead into the final clip that we're going to see.
3: never ask about it. Only person I ever met didn't ask about it, like, in the first five minutes.
2: It's your business not mine? You, you, you tell me when you tell me or you won't.
3: I did it to myself. I was pretty high. You did that? Yeah. With one of those, um, peeler. Peeler? You know, um potato peeler?
2: Oh, God, yeah, I know what that is, right?
3: I was a different person than I. Was. I didn't really like myself.
2: And do you, do you like yourself now?
1: Well, we want to make sure that uh, you guys can ask some questions. So there are some mics floating around.
3: Dennis, your work is just amazing, and Mystic River was just one of my absolute all-time favorites, and um, Dennis, I just, th- what I wanted to say was, as a writer, I'm, I'm, I put together a piece, and it's actually, I, what you said just rang so truthful to me, in that I wrote a two-part novel, two novel, and it's 600 pages, and I need to adapt that into two screenplays and I don't know what to cut and it's very it's just impossible as a writer to figure out the perspective of what is going to make a film and and what to do for a screenplay.
1: Dennis, did you have any advice about the what to cut, how to decide what to cut or Yeah,
0: well that's why I don't do my own adaptations. I I was at a um thing once with the the great uh the, the late great writer Donald Westlake and I was at this big mystery thing. There was a whole bunch of us in an island in the Caribbean. It was really it was awesome. It was one of those. It's a great gig. Um, and I was with my friend, George Pelicanos, and we were thinking the same thing at the time. This is like 15 years ago. And Westlake's up on stage, and somebody said, Mr. Westlake, you've done all these great screenplays. You know, he's done these amazing adaptations, The Grifters and Stepfather and all these others, but you've never adapted your own work. Why is that? And he says, only a moron adapts his own work. And me and George looked at each other like, that's good. good. If he says it, it's good enough for us, and I've never adapted my own novel since, and I never will. You know, it's nuts. I mean, cutting 600 pages down to 120. I can't even imagine. I remember
3: you said something beautiful the other day. It's like, you know, having a child and then decide, like, should I take that arm or should I take the leg off? Or You know, it's uh, yeah, and it's I can not, understand that.
0: It's just not a, it's not I'm not the guy to trust. So.
4: Uh, Nomi, a uh, couple questions. Um, Talk about the contrast between working with Tom and working with James in this film because uh, they're two very different actors and I think they have very different styles in the way they approach characters or express them. Or maybe I'm wrong and maybe you have some insight to them that I don't know. And then I'd also like to hear, because I haven't as yet seen the film, um, I'd like to hear how this character is alike or different from some of the other characters that you've played because you've played some fairly dark characters who've gone through some Pretty difficult times, and some are m- more victims and less victims. So I'd like to hear you comment on that.
3: Um, well, I can start by saying that I didn't really have scenes with James. It was he was um, mostly interacting with Tommy, and had a little bit with Matthias, um, But I just I met him on set, and and he. Um, what, what for me, what's what um, what made me very happy and what what I still kind of carry with me, is that um, get, when I got to know him a little bit, I realized that he was you know he's been doing all those amazing films he's been you know he was um, he did so so much um, such a great work and but still you know by being in the business so long, but he and and managing to be. be to uh, maintain um, a real person, to be so grounded, so loving, so respectful, um, and so real, and not being like carried away with all the uh, weirdness and stupidity that that kind of can um, infect our business. Um, that was something that I that I that I still think about actually with him. Um, so that it's not really me working with him, but him as a person. But um, working with Tommy um, for me is, uh, I, I think. I adore him and and um and uh it's it's quite rare that you meet someone that you feel that you can do pretty much anything with because you're safe and he has my back and and uh and we're kind of on a journey together and 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 it's um uh, and you give each other and then you can grow um, nadia I remember you said to me once that she's like a broken angel um and I think that describes her in a in a way, she's, a, she's a, is a young woman with a troubled past. She has a, she was, um, had a relationship with Eric Dietz, Matthias' character, and he's a quite a um, complicated and, and disturbed man, <laughs> and, and I think that um, for me, she, but she's strong, she has a strength. She ended, she was, in, she was living something bad that was really destructive, but she managed to, 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 to break it and to move on, and kind of forcing herself to find her own voice even though she's fragile when we meet her she's a, she's a fighter and and uh, it it can be really hard to to leave something even though you know it's destructive and not good for you it's safety and it's home base so to kind of to to leave that and to go on into something that is unknown and it can be more scary than to live in something that is not good for you actually so for me she's she's a strong person and she's um she's um when we meet her she's she's trying to find her new
0: uh, this one's for
4: Mikael. Um, over here. <laughs> so I'm just curious, you're not American, you're Belgian, how was it working with, you know, you have Dennis Lehane who's a fantastic writer who's worked and most of his novels are on work is all about the underworld of America suburbia. You know, most of those, that's what he's working, it's fantastic, you're, all the stuff is Thank very you. happy with all your work, Thank it's, you. Thank it's you. wonderful. But I was just wondering, how did you feel about, like, working with that, like, you're, you know, working in that kind of, in that very underworld, like, did you do a lot of research, or how did you, how did you approach this project? You know, because this is kind of an interesting project to do, and it's about American, the American underworld, and especially in Brooklyn, you know what I mean? If that makes any sense. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, it's, it's a good question. I mean, of course, I mean, I made a movie myself before uh, the drop in Belgium called Bullhead, and it's also a crime drama. So it is a genre that is, I mean, where I have my my uh, fascination and uh, for and and I'm very intrigued by that world. And I think most of those stories talk and especially Dennis's story talk about a very universal elements of life. It's very about things that we recognize. That's why uh, the stories that he tells are not just stories that you understand if you're American. I, can, I always understood some of the, the stories and I was in Belgium, you know. So I think it's, um, I mean, Dennis was a good guide. You know, it was all there, it was written. And of course I did some research. Uh, and again, I was very much influenced by American cinema and, uh especially in Belgium, where the american film in culture is a great tradition and we know a lot about it i mean that's there's more i've seen more American movies than any other i mean um i think in one week there' are more American movies that come out than we had in the entire history <laughs> you know <laughs> so and yeah, I was coming here and then it's just like, it's also my job, you know, You that's what you do. You, you go in, you start with looking at bars, talk to people, uh, and, and, and you work. Day in, day out, and you, you start to feel and to taste it. And, and, and we had a fantastic crew, lots of people that were, uh, you know, the produ- producers were from uh, New York. Um, and I met a lot of people, and you just ask, you talk, you listen, and then you create, so. It was a challenge, but I liked it, you know. And if you like it, it makes it all kind of easier too, I guess.
1: Hi, I'm shy, so bear with me. Um, my question is actually for Dennis. I read the short story that the script was based on, and I really connected with the character of Bob. Thought he was a really specific character, very parochial character specific time and place and age. And I'm wondering how has he evolved into Brooklyn, into the movie version? Will I find a very different Bob or will I sort of see the resemblance?
0: Uh, in the movie version, you'll find a slightly different Bob. That One of the things that, the, the biggest change we had, again, it was this is about a guy who's very lonely um, and there's two types of loneliness. One is caused in the story by external factors and the other is caused by internal factors. The internal factor is that he has decided to be alone. He has has, uh, consciously decided to disconnect emotionally from the world, because because A, because it hurts too much to get your heart broken, and B, because of the secret in the movie, that that there's a reason, it's a motive that drives the movie. Um, The second reason in the story is that he's physically unattractive, he's extremely unattractive. He's overweight, he's got a very ugly face, the moment that they hired Tom Hardy, yeah, we're kind of screwed there. You know what I mean? Like it's it's just not gonna work. You can take a bag of hammers, hit Tom in the face with it all day. He's still gonna be a good looking guy who got hit in the face with a couple of hammers. I mean it just doesn't work. So it became we had to make a decision to go deeper on the internal loneliness, which we did, which made the script actually stronger. Um, it, 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 one, the, net, the, the Hardy Pass, as I call it, I, I made a pass once Tom Hardy was cast, and it made it a better script because it becomes such a mystery: um, why has this guy disconnected from the world? The world is not disconnecting from him, you know. So, it, it, I think it makes it a much more intriguing film in a lot of ways. So. Did I choose a pit bull on purpose? I had a friend at Animal Rescue, this is probably where it all started, I had a friend who was working at Animal Rescue in Boston, and she said to me, they put pit bulls down in 30 days. And I said, why? And she said, because nobody wants to take them, and after 30 days, they, we, there's a kill order on all pit bulls. And I thought, that doesn't seem right, you know? So I just started with that, you know? So
1: Thank you, everyone, for coming to join us, and uh, thank you, Mikkel, you, me, and Dennis.